Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Let's open up once again Genesis 31. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity. Lord, for me to break the bread of your word with your people, with those who join us online as well. Uh, we, we just thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit and for your presence. We do pray uh, for sensitivity to your Holy Spirit. We pray that you guide us tonight. Give us fresh insight. Give us understanding. We do also pray for a timely word that, that Father, uh, you will use me tonight to, to share whatever we need to hear and apply uh, but whatever the case is, Lord, I pray that we'll leave this place more equipped for the work of the ministry than when we came in and more like Jesus than when we came in. Oh, Father, we love you. We thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Genesis 31, the title of the study is, If It Had Not Been For The Lord. If It Had Not Been For The Lord. So in Genesis 30, the previous chapter Uh, Jacob was ready to leave Laban, and Laban, of course, is his uncle as well as his father-in-law, and he was ready to leave him and go back to Canaan, the promised land, the the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their descendants, the Israelites. So he was ready to go back there in Genesis 30, along with his wives and his children. But after talking to his uncle slash father-in-law, Laban, Um, He found out that Laban wanted him to stay, and that's because Laban had come to understand that he was blessed by the Lord through Jacob's presence and through his work. And so Jacob, of of course, he, he decided to stay a little longer on the condition that he would continue to keep Laban's flocks. But then again, uh, not only would he keep his flocks, but all the speckled and spotted of the sheep and the goats will belong to him as well as the brown lambs. Those will be his wages. That was the condition of Jacob staying, even though he wanted to leave. And of course, the scriptures tell us in Genesis 30 that Laban agreed to that deal. But uh, we also see in the Bible that he made it hard for uh, Jacob to get anything in that deal, for him to come on top because Laban would go uh, through his flock and he would remove all the male and female goats that were speckled and spotted and all of the brown uh, lambs. And he would give them to his sons and he put, the Bible tells us, a three days journey between Jacob and himself. And so he made it hard for Jacob to prosper in this deal, this deal they had made for Jacob to stay just a little longer. And so Jacob, because uh, like I said, uh, Laban had removed all of those speckled and spotted, um, all, all of those goats and, and so forth. He was only left with the solid colored and the normal colored goats and lambs. But of course, with the Lord's help and with Jacob's selective breeding knowledge, We see that Jacob prospered anyway, but ultimately we know that it was because of the Lord. And Jacob is now finally going to leave. He's going to leave Laban. He's going to leave Padan Aram or Haran. 
And he's going to go back home in the land of Canaan, the promised land. And we're going to see the events leading up to him finally leaving Padan Aram. And so we turn our attention to verse 1 in Genesis chapter 31. It says, Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he had acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance, he saw the attitude, the facial expression of, of Laban. And indeed, it was not favorable or friendly toward Jacob as before. And so we see that Laban's sons, they didn't like the fact that Jacob was prospering. And they accused him of taking what was their father's and gaining all of his wealth from their father Laban. As if he didn't work hard for it. As if he were not blessed by God. See, Laban, who once liked having Jacob around because... Once again, he noticed that he was being blessed by the Lord through Jacob. We see that now he began to have this attitude change towards his nephew, who was also his son-in-law. And like Jacob, you may experience people's attitudes changing towards you. The attitudes, the facial expressions that were once favorable towards you. They may have even considered themselves your best buddy, your best friend. Maybe even considered you their, their best worker on the job site. But then, for whatever reason, you begin to experience these attitude changes. Maybe it's because they find out that you worship the true and the living God. Maybe it's because you wear those Jesus shirts. Maybe it's because on, on your break time, they see you opening and reading the Bible. Maybe it's because when, when they're gossiping about other things, they're gossiping about the boss or other people. Maybe because you're not joining in. And when they ask you, how come you're not joining in? You bring up a scripture, not looking down on them, but just sharing the word of God. Maybe it's because of that, their expressions, their, their attitudes change towards you, or it could be due to envy or maybe some type of misconception about you. Or maybe some people just simply have this attitude change towards you because they, they no longer feel like they have the advantage over you. And so you may have experienced that, or maybe you're experiencing that right now, but as you can see here, you're not the only one. Jacob experienced that. In fact, if you fast forward from this point, Jesus even experienced that. And in verse three, it says, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family and I will be with you. And so first of all, going back to Canaan was, was something that was already in, in Jacob's heart, according to Genesis chapter 30, verse 25. It was already there in his heart to go back. But now here, God is making it plain in verse 3, return. Go back to Canaan. Go back to the land of your fathers. Go back. And in this command that we see, because it is a command, we see that God reassures Jacob of his presence. See, one thing we need to understand, and I think many of us do, but we need to be reminded of, that's, that's for some of us, we need reminders you see, people may not always be with us. People may forsake you. They may have already forsaken you. 
You may lose some allies. You may lose some friends. And some people are in your life for a season. You'll notice that as well. But, but here's the thing. God is always with us no matter what. No matter what season of life you're in. No matter what location you move to. You can move clear across the country. Or even across the world. And, and God is still with you. If you have a personal relationship with him, he's with you. See, in verses four through six, it says, so Jacob, he sent and he called Rachel and Leah to the field. And if you're new or visiting, these are sisters, but these are also his wives and Leah being here the oldest. So he called them to the field to his flock. And he said to them, I see your father's countenance, his, his attitude, he's, he's changed. He used to like me or look favorable upon me, but, it, but it's not like that anymore. He says, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I have served your father. I've served Laban. So Jacob's wives, they were witnesses to the fact that, that Jacob was a hard worker, that he worked hard for their father Laban. They were witnesses of that. And so as an application point, I wonder if we can say that about ourselves. Could we say that about ourselves, that, that, that we worked hard for our employer, being a good witness as we do that? You see, in the Bible, in the New Testament, Paul wrote the following to Titus, who was a pastor of the church on Crete. In Titus chapter 2, uh, verses 9 and 10, he says, Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things. Or in other words, to do their best to please them, not answering back. So don't talk back as an employee to your employer, your boss, your manager. Not pilfering, not stealing, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine or teaching of God our Savior in all things. And, and pilfering, by the way, is just stealing. And so we can steal, of course, material things. Of, unfortunately, that happens. But we could all, also steal time, doing things we're not supposed to be doing when we should be working. But we should show all fidelity, which means faithfulness, that we may adorn, that we may, in other words, uh, make the teaching of God, our Savior, that we would make it look attractive. It's already attractive. It's already beautiful. But by the fact we are applying it, and because we're Bible-believing Christians and, and we're actually doing the Word of God in the workplace, it, it makes the Word of God look even more beautiful, more attractive. It honors the Word of God. And so we continue in the Scriptures in Genesis 31 and verse 7. It says, Yet... Your father has deceived me and he changed my wages 10 times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. If he has said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived or when the flocks were mating. He said that I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream and behold or look the rams which 
leaped upon the flocks were streaked. In other words, they were striped, they were uh, speckled or spotted and, and gray spotted. Or, or one translation says mottled. In verse 11, then uh, the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on or are mating with the flocks. They're streaked, they're speckled and gray spotted for I have seen all that Laban. I've seen with your father-in-law, your uncle, this, this, this man who's deceptive. I've seen what he is doing to you. And he says, I am uh, the God of Bethel where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. So Jacob revealed to his wives, to Leah and Rachel, that, that he had gotten word from the Lord that during the time the flocks were, were mating and, and getting uh, pregnant, that, they, that he started to dream. He received a dream. But notice in this dream that the angel of God who spoke to him has identified himself as the God of Bethel. And to get that to that point, you will look again at verses 11 and 13, because verse 11 starts off by saying that the angel of God spoke to me in a dream and he's speaking in verse 13. He says, I am the God of Bethel. So there's no guesswork here. And so we are looking at the second person of the Trinity, who is often called the, the, the angel of the Lord. In the Old Testament, we call that a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Christ. That is Christ making an appearance in the Old Testament before the incarnation in the New Testament. And so we see that this is the God of Bethel speaking to him in this dream. And so here it just reinforces the point that we made earlier and even last week that God and not necessarily the strategy uh, that Jacob used using those rods or branches um, and those troughs of water. We, we see that not those things of, them, of themselves, but God is what caused uh, Jacob's part of the flock to multiply, to multiply exceedingly. And so, in other words, we could just say three words that, that God did it. So, so it wasn't all about Jacob. Yes, Jacob may have had his part, but ultimately, once again, we could just say God did it. That's essentially what he was saying. And, and this is something that we can say to us as well about our situation, about ourselves as well, that, that God did it. When people see that, that, that you're blessed, that you're not stressed, that you have this peace that passes all understanding. They can see that in you when and everybody else is, is freaking out. And they, and they may ask you, why, why are you so peaceful? You can simply say that, that God did it. Or when they see how you used to be in your life before Christ, how you used to live in sin, how you approved of sin, how you just were living a crazy life as a, a child of the devil, and they see this great change in you, how, how you're not that same way, where physically you may look the same, but, but they can tell that your speech is different. You don't, you don't curse the way you used to. You don't support the things that, that you used to support. You don't go the places, the sinful places that you used to go. 
You don't, you don't make the same posts on social media that were sinful. In fact, there's this enormous, this enormous change in your life. And when people ask you, why, why are you so different now? When I know that's how you used to be, you can make sure you give God the glory like Jacob did and just simply say that, that God did it. God is the one. In verses 14 through 16, back in Genesis 31, it says, Then Rachel and Leah answered, and they said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money for all these riches which God has taken from our father. They they really are ours. They, They really belong to us and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Laban was cheating everyone. He didn't discriminate. He cheated everybody, even his own daughters. You see, Jacob served Laban for seven years specifically for Rachel. But then we know the story that that Laban gave him Leah, the older sister. And then Jacob We come to understand, served another seven years for the woman he really wanted to marry, Rachel. So so that's 14 years just serving for these two women here when really in his heart he was just serving uh, for Rachel. But apparently, just based on these scriptures in verses 14 through 16, just just reading uh, the words of Rachel and Leah, we can see that, that Laban used up whatever was gained during Jacob's time of service. Whatever was accumulated and was supposed to have been put away for these two women, we see that he used it all up because it really was supposed to be used as a dowry for his daughters to make sure that they would be taken care of if something were to happen to, to Jacob like if he were to die or maybe if Jacob were to forsake them, then, then they will have something to live on. But, but their father used it all up. Just didn't discriminate in who he cheated. You see, Leah and Rachel, what we come to find out as we, as we read there in, in verse 16, we see that they were definitely on Jacob's side. They were on their husband's side and they were supportive of what God had told Jacob to do. And so biblically, yes, it's important for wives to support their husbands and how the Lord is leading them. That's important. But I also think it could work the other way. That if God is leading the wife to maybe, um, you know, enter into a, you know, certain um, field of, of work or whatever it may be or whatever it is. If it's the Lord leading, you both of you pray about it and, bo- and the Lord show both of you that, that, yes, this is how I'm leading her or, or, or the Lord shows her that this is how the Lord is leading you. We, we, would, we would be right to support each other in that, to be on the same page with each other in the Lord. That's key in the Lord, not not according to our feelings, not according to our own aspirations, but in the Lord. What does God want my wife to do? What does God want my husband to do if, if, if you're a wife? And so we need to be all sensitive to the Holy Spirit because, yes, she may be your wife and yes, he may be your husband. 
but also your brother and sister in Christ. You're indwelt by the same Holy Spirit and you become one in marriage and the Holy Spirit will not lead you wrong because he does not want our households to be divided. And so I like how they support what God had told Jacob to do. If God has clearly told you this, then, then, then go ahead with that. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to be here with you. In verses 17 through 21, it says, Then Jacob arose, and he set his sons and his wives on camels, and he carried away all his livestock. In other words, he drove all his livestock ahead of him and all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padam Aram, which is located in northwest Mesopotamia. And he went to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban, in verse 19, had gone to shear his sheep. And Rachel had stolen the household gods, the, their, their teraphim. If you look behind that word, you see the Hebrew word. These are teraphim. And they belonged to her father Laban. And in verse 20, and Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. And so he fled with all that he had. He arose and he crossed the river, that is the Euphrates River, and he headed toward the mountains or hill country of Gilead. And this hill country of Gilead is the northernmost uh, part of Canaan, east of the Jordan River. And so we see here, just from these few verses, we see, or it should come to our mind, that Jacob, first of all, he came to Padan Aram with very little. In fact, it's even suggested that the only thing he had was his staff. But we see that as he's leaving Padan Aram, going back to the promised land, the land of Canaan, that he is leaving with much. He's leaving with wives, with children, with livestock, with male and female servants, according to Genesis 30, verse 43. And it's the same thing for many of us. Because many of us may go into a job, we may go into a career, we may go into a circumstance without much. But by the time we leave, the Lord may bless us so much that, but no, we may not always leave with material items or the bank account fatter than what it used to be or whatever. It may not happen that way, but, but we may leave with more experience, with more spiritual growth and with more wisdom and knowledge and skills than we had before. And so you went into that situation or job career, like I said, with, with just very little of all of those things. But by the time you come out, the Lord bless you so much that you come out with more than you had than when you went in. Amen. And think about this, spiritually speaking. Now, now, when we come from our mother's womb, obviously that's physical. We come into the world naked. We don't come into the world with much. In fact, what we come into the world with is a sin nature that we have received from Adam. And by the way, you can't say, no, I don't want the sin nature because that, that we're, we're, we're humans um, with the sin that just comes from Adam. But, but praise God, it, it doesn't stay that way, especially for those of us who are in Christ. Because in the final stage of salvation, which is receiving the glorified bodies, then guess what? You won't have that sin nature anymore. 
But just to get back to that point, we're, we're brought into this world naked, without much, not knowing much. We come with the sin nature. But as believers, praise God, if you are a believer, that means you have repented and you place your, tr- your trust in Jesus for salvation as believers, as Bible-believing Christians. When we leave this world, hopefully you'll leave this world with more experience. Hopefully when you leave this world, although you came in with very little, you'll have more knowledge. You'll have more wisdom. You'll have more spiritual growth. In fact, you might leave this world without much material gain, but by the time you leave this earth, hopefully as a believer, you'll, you'll leave with, with heavenly treasures, and hopefully that'll be built up as you live an obedient life to the Lord. And as you do those things that he has called you to do in that work of ministry or maybe that outreach that he has called you to, if you're doing those things with a pure motive and you're doing it, like I said, in obedience to him and not to get praise from men, then you will have rewards on reward day. And I mentioned it before that for the believer, judgment day is reward day. And so the question I want to pose to each and every one of us in this room, or if you're watching online, or if you're listening later to the audio, or maybe looking at the video at a later time than this live date, the the question I want to pose is, how is your exit plan going? Are you living a life of obedience? Are you walking in the ministry, working in the ministry that God has called you to by the power of the Holy Spirit? How is your exit plan going? That's something for us to think about. If we need to get better, this is not condemnation. If we need to get better, let's get better. Let's ask the Lord to help us to get better in all areas that he wants us to grow in. But getting back to uh, the study here, the narrative here. Now, now remember that, uh, first of all, before Jacob and his group had left Padan Aram, we see in the scripture something interesting. We see that his wife, his favorite wife, and, and this is not condoning by any means having more than one wife. I, I explained before, but, but maybe I should say it again, that there's some things in the Bible that are descriptive and some prescriptive. Prescriptive are things that we ought to do. Descriptive are things where the Bible is just describing what's happening, although God doesn't necessarily approve of it. And so it's just describing that Jacob, this, this man, he has two wives. So I want to throw that out there. But so before um, he left with his wives, he left, he left Padan Aram to go to Canaan. Remember that Rachel stole her father's household idols or teraphim. Now, these images, they appear to have been figurines or maybe rude representations of the human form or even, according to the source, statuettes of deceased ancestors. Most often, the source continues, however, they were of female deities. And so these are different reasons because people may wonder, why does she steal these, these idols? And there are different reasons. First, one reason, I'll just share a couple, is that possession of these pagan figurines, it implied a right of inheritance. It implied whoever had those idols, that that means that they would be the one to inherit it. So and so in their case, maybe it could assure that Jacob or who's her husband, it would assure him the right to her father's property. 
So that could be one reason, a very real possibility, or it could be just simply her way of getting back at her father, or maybe it was both. But in verses 22 through 30, you're going to look at a large chunk of verses here. He says, and Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him and he pursued him for seven days journey. He overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. Uh, But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night. And he said to him, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. And so Laban overtook Jacob. Now, Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains and Laban and his brethren with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Why did you flee secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs with timbrel or tambourines and harp, which could also be translated as, as lyre, L-Y-R-E. In verse 28, and you did not allow me to kiss my sons, which would be his grandchildren, grandsons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly. In so doing, he says, it is in my power to do you harm or I could do you great harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you uh, speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. So I understand you left because you, 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 you miss your father's house and all that. But but why did you steal my God's? So on the third day, after Jacob and his group left, we see that Laban was told that that Jacob is gone. And then maybe it took three days, because if you remember in Genesis 30, uh, verse 36, um, Laban had put a three days journey between him and Jacob. So maybe that's why it took that long. But it took him seven days to catch up with Jacob and his group. And when he did, he questioned Jacob on, on why he left secretly and why he didn't give him a chance to say goodbye to his daughters and his grandchildren. And then he, he also asked him why he stole his household idols. Now, now, something may stand out to you. Maybe, you know, and maybe it doesn't seem weird to you, but it seems weird to me that a person's gods could be stolen. It, it just seemed weird On top of that, not only could his gods be stolen, but that the person has to come and rescue their gods. You see, it's not like that with the God of the Bible, with the true and the living. Nobody's going to steal him, first and foremost. And and second of all, we we don't need to rescue him. In fact, he is our deliverer. Amen? Amen. You see, the true and the living God spoke with Laban in the dream The night before the scriptures tell us, we just read it. That should have been enough for him to say, you know what? Forget about these idols. The, the, the true God just spoke to me in the dream. He acknowledges that. And it just goes to show you that some people would rather hold on to their idols, chase down their idols in spite of the evidence that there is a true and that there is a a living God in spite of that evidence. And yes, we do have proof that there is a God, by the way, although some people may disagree with me. You can disagree, but there is proof. First of all, we have something that's called general revelation. 
general revelation is, is revelation that is available to everybody, no matter what time you live in, no matter where you live. God reveals that he exists generally, in other words. You see, under general revelation, under that category, one type of general revelation is creation. God reveals himself and his attributes through creation. Because if, if there is an effect, the effect, by the way, would be creation, then there must be a cause, a cause with a capital C being God. In other words, the universe was caused by another. The universe was caused by God. This is the law, if you want to get technical, this is the law of causality. And that just simply means that God is the cause and the world, the universe, is the effect. So if there is a creation, there is a creator. So, so we see that in the natural world, general revelation. Another type of general revelation that's given to all mankind, all humans, all people, is the moral conscience. We see that in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, if you want to look that up. The moral conscience is something we all have. That's why you can go to a place that doesn't even speak your language and they still know that murder is wrong. Because we all have at least this basic sense of right and wrong. And morals, by the way, reflects a law. That means there must be a moral lawgiver. And so the moral conscience and the natural world or creation would be a type of general revelation that's available to all. So yes, there's proof of God. But then you have something that's called special or specific revelation where now you get to find out specifically who God is. We saw that, by the way, in the book of in the book of Acts with Cornelius. He has some type of knowledge of God. He gave alms. But then God, through an angel, told him to to send for Peter because Peter was now going to come and give specific revelation of who the Christ is, of who the Savior is. And so I personally, be, personally believe, as you see in the scriptures there, that if a person responds to the general revelation, if they're truly seeking God and they respond positively to the general revelation, I wonder who this God is who created this. I believe God will maybe send a missionary or some, someone like that to give them specific revelation. And so um, we can see specific revelation, of course, through the written word of God. We see it through dreams like here in this in this scripture here. We see it in visions. God has given people vision, specific revelation of his existence. Also through theophanies. And these are visible manifestations of God's presence, like the burning bush, like the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of clouds by day during the time of Moses and when he was with the children of Israel in the wilderness. We see these theophanies. These are examples of special or specific revelation, but the most specific or special uh, uh, revelation, the, the, the best one that God has ever given to us is Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, because the Bible tells us that Jesus reveals to us who the invisible God is. And so if you want to know who the father is, how the father is, you would look at Jesus, the clearest expression of God. That's why he is called the word of God, the Lagos, because words, they express 
who you are, right? And so, so Jesus, uh, he, in a special way and in the most clear way, he expresses who God the Father is. And, and Jesus, by the way, he is God in human flesh. In verses 31 to 35, it says, then Jacob answered and he said to Laban, because I was afraid uh, for I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. He says, with whomever you find your gods, do not uh, let them live. So in other words, I ran because I was afraid. But since you're talking about these little idol gods, whoever you find them with, you know, uh, identify what I have of yours, take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel has stolen them, even to kill that person. And verse 33, and Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tents, that's Zilpah and Bilhah, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. And now Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle or the saddlebag, and he sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. So Rachel was being a little sneaky there, you know, pretending that she was having her monthly cycle. That's why she didn't get up from the true hiding place. In verse 36, it says, then, then Jacob was angry and he rebuked Laban. So, so he still didn't know that she had stolen them. <clears throat> and Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? So you know, Jacob is going off now. This, all of this has built up over 20 years. Because remember, he served 14 years for, for, the, for the ladies and for the daughters. And, and then six years, you know, watching his flock. And so, yeah, he is upset. Verse 37, although you have searched all my things, what, what part of your household things have you found? See it here before my brethren and, and your brethren, that they may judge between us both or decide which one of us is right, if you want to put it that way. In these 20 years, I've been with you. Your, your ewes or um, um, female sheep and your female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts, I did not bring to you. I, I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was in the day, the drought. So I suffered through the heat. It consumed me and the frost by night and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus, I have been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you've changed my wages, what I was supposed to have been paid 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac is a title of God had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my trouble. He's seen my affliction and the labor of my hands. And he rebuked you last night, speaking of, you know, that dream that he had. So Jacob, as mentioned earlier, we, we know he was a hard worker. And we see once again, he worked hard. He worked faithfully for his father-in-law slash uncle Laban as he looked after his uncle's flock. And notice that Jacob didn't make excuses, did not make any excuses for whatever was lost or whatever was 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 torn to shreds by by another wild animal. 
In fact, he even paid for what was stolen under his watch, under his care. You see here that he didn't even bring the carcass of the flocks that were killed by wild animals. Because if he would have brought the flocks that had been killed by wild animals, then that pretty much would have settled the issue. He wouldn't have been held responsible for it. So that, that wouldn't have counted against him if he had done that. But he didn't even do that. Jacob said, I'll just, you know, take care of it. I'll just bear the loss. I'm not going to make any excuses. He took responsibility for everything, a faithful worker. And so no, even though he was cheated, wages changed 10 times. He continued to do the right thing. And right there, that is a message. That's a message right there that it doesn't matter what people do to us how wrong we're treated by others. But, but for us, we must continue to do the right thing. Amen. In verses 30 through 50, it says, And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. And this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But, but what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have borne? Now, therefore, come. Let's make a covenant. Let's make an agreement, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and he set it up as a pillar, as this marker or monument. And then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. They piled them up, made a mound. And they ate there on the heap. And Laban called it Jagar Sahudutha, which is Aramaic. This was Laban's language, who was, who was um, an Aramean or Syrian. But Jacob called it Galid. And Galid is Hebrew. It's the Hebrew version of this Aramaic name. And so both Jagar, Sadutha, and, and Galid, they mean mound or heap of witness. And Laban said this heap or this pile of rocks is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Galid or heap of witness. Also Mitzpah in verse 49. And Mitzpah, by the way, sounds like watch in Hebrew. So watchtower. So he called it that because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. If you afflict, if you mistreat my daughters, or if you take an otherwise besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. So in other words, the Lord will be watching if either of them tries to harm the other in the future. Not only that, but, but he said that Mizpah, this stone or this stone pile or mound, it says it will be a reminder that the Lord will be watching if Jacob were to mistreat his daughters or take other wives. So if any of us do anything wrong, this is a symbol that the Lord is looking after us. It would also serve as a border that neither was to cross to harm the other. And so I know some of you, depending on what church you've come from, you you may have repeated verse 49 as a benediction, as something good. But but really, this, this is saying that I don't trust you. You don't trust me. And so God is going to watch between us to make sure you behave in yourself and I'm behaving myself. So, so it was really something that was said because of distrust between the both of them. In verses 40, uh, 51 through 55, it says, Then Laban said to Jacob, 
Here is the heap and here is the pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap or this pile of rocks, this mound is a witness. And this pillar, this rock that's set on end is a witness. That I will not pass beyond this heap to you and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father, Isaac. And then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And so uh, we see that both families gathered stones. They ate a meal together on those stones. And it was a symbol of the agreement they had just, just reached. And in verse 55, it says, And early in the morning Laban arose and kissed his sons or grandchildren and daughters, and he blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. And so I want to just quickly look at verse 53, because in verse 53, God, that word God is, is put in lower case for the God of Nahor and the God of their father in some English versions, not in the New King James Version, but in some English versions, the word God for the God of Nahor and God of their father is in lower case. And that's because um, Joshua would later share that Terah, who was the father of Nahor and Abraham, was an idolater. And so, of course, that will be a little g. In fact, this is what it says in Joshua 24, verse 2. It says, And Joshua said to all the people, so obviously we're fast-forwarding past this event, but he said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers or ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river, that is Euphrates, in old times, and they served other gods. And so Abraham and Nahor, they grew up in the house of idolatry. And so that's why you see some English translations where, uh, where it says the God of Nahor and the God of their father is in lowercase g because they worship idol gods. But they will leave in most translation the God of Abraham as capitalized. We know who the God of Abraham is. But, but, but here's the thing. We, whereas Laban may be referring to an idol god or idol gods in verse 53, he may be doing that. Notice that Jacob made it clear that I'm not referring to any idol gods. I'm referring to the fear of Isaac. I'm referring to the God that Isaac, my father, fears, the God of the Bible that some would call Yahweh. And this is Yahweh is how many believe the Tetragrammaton is pronounced, but nobody really knows for sure. You see Y-H-W-H, that's called the Tetragrammaton. And so we don't know the real pronunciation, but many believe it's pronounced Yahweh. Uh, But here's something for us to take from this, that in our conversations with people about God, because God could be used as a general term, we need to make sure that in our um, um, conversations with them about God, that they understand the God that we're talking about. That I'm not just talking about any old God. I'm not talking about the God of Mormonism. I'm not talking about the God of Jehovah Witnesses. I'm not talking about the God of Islam or whatever other God. I'm I'm talking about the God of the Bible, the, the God of the true scriptures. I'm, I'm talking about that God, the true and the living God. I'm, I'm talking about the God who has a triune nature, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's the God I'm talking about. And so sometimes when I talk to people and I, and I, and I 
ask them if they need prayer. I'll let them know I'm going to pray to the God I serve in the name of Jesus to make sure they understand which God that I'm talking about. So we would do well to do that. You see, although Laban cheated Jacob and even wanted to harm him, the Lord did not allow him to hurt Jacob. We see that God even intervened in a dream, through a dream, to warn Laban not to speak to Jacob, good or bad. Otherwise, Laban, of course, would have laid hands on him. And, And he said as much, it's my power. It's in my power to hurt you or I could hurt you right now. But he said, but your God stepped in through a dream. The Lord did not allow Laban to hurt Jacob. God also prevented Laban from uh, totally getting over on Jacob, although he changed Jacob's wages 10 times. You see, Jacob, he prospered in spite of Laban's efforts. In fact, by way of reminder, Jacob even told Laban this in, in Genesis 31, verse 42. He says, unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Another way of saying, unless the God of my father Blah, blah, blah. Another way of saying that would be if it had not been for the Lord. You see, we can identify with Jacob. Many of us will be worse off if God did not help us. So in other words, if for us, if, if it had not been for the Lord, if it had not been for God, the, the devil, our spiritual enemy would have gotten the best of us. For example, he would have kept the spiritual blinders upon us to keep us away from the Lord. If it were not for the Lord, he he would have kept us from the blessings that, that we have in Christ. All the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ that are in heavenly places for us. If it had not been for God, he would have hindered us in the process of becoming all that he wants us to be in Christ. If it had not been for the Lord, the enemy would have led us into ruining our testimony. In fact, if it had not been for the Lord, some of our marriages would not have made it. And many of you know that and can say amen right now. You're probably even saying that in your hearts. If it had not been for the Lord, unless the Lord was with us and had stepped in, some of us would have lost our families. If it had not been for him, some of us maybe would have missed out on certain opportunities. If it had not been for him, I would even say this, that if it had not been for the Lord, many of us would be robbed of the peace that you have in Christ Jesus. If it had not been for him, you would be going crazy. You would have lost your sanity. You would not be in your right mind. But because the Lord is with you, the Holy Spirit indwells you because you surrender to him. Oh, you are experienced the peace of God. If it had not been for the Lord, for you keeping your mind stayed on him, you would have been robbed. Like I said, of that peace, you would have been robbed of your sanity. If it had not been from, for him, you, would have, you wouldn't have been spared from dangers or maybe you wouldn't even been spared from times where somebody wanted to even literally kill you or the times that you could have died. 
in car accidents or whatever it may have been, if it had not been for the Lord, in fact, we would still be on our way to hell. But because of the Lord, because of Jesus, guess what? We have been redeemed. That means we have been purchased by his blood and we have been set free never to be brought into bondage again. If it had not been for the Lord Jesus, we would not have been forgiven. But in Christ, we are forgiven because he paid the price. He paid the penalty for our sins. Because of the Lord, we have been reconciled to God the Father. We were once at odds with him, but we are reconciled with him. We are brought back, in other words, into friendly terms with him. And because we have peace with God, we now have the peace of God. But that wouldn't have happened if it had not been for the Lord. If it had not been for the Lord, we, have, we would not be citizens of heaven. You, you would not have that hope right now of eternity with the Lord. And when I speak of the hope that we have in Christ, I'm not speaking of something maybe that we have, that we think we're going to have. No, when we talk about a biblical hope, this is a joyful expectation of coming good. But none of that will be possible if it had not been for the Lord. And so because we have all of these things in Christ, I think it's appropriate that we're going to have communion tonight. Amen. And so the elements are at the front and at the back. Uh, the, the communion, it reminds us of the death of Christ. Every time we partake, we can partake as much as we want. As a worship team takes the stage, it, 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 we speak forth. It's like we're preaching a sermon of his death. The bread, of course, the cracker representing his body, the juice representing his blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood, the scriptures tell us. So, yes, it's a time of remembrance, remembering his death. It's a, it's a time in which we should take it seriously. It's a time of evaluation. If, there any, if there's any unconfessed sin, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to us and ask him for forgiveness. And so, this part of the service, once again, communion. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for sending your only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. If it had not been for you, we would all be lost. We would be in terrible shape. And so we do thank you and we remember this time. At this time, through communion, we remember the death of our Savior and Lord Jesus. And so, Father, when... We leave this place. May you protect us as we go back home. May you equip us and use us this week for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.